I'm Scott Jordan. Welcome to Inside Monster Jam, the official Monster Jam podcast. And this week, we kick off the official Monster Jam Driver Summit in a big way. I am joined in studio by Great Clips Mohawk Warriors, Bryce Kenny, and Son of a Digger, powered by Hoonigan's Ryan Anderson. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on Inside Monster Jam. I can't think of just a bigger honor, Mr. Scott Jordan, than to be on your podcast instead of my podcast, which will be fun. But Well, we'll talk about that yeah. later, which I've never <laughs> been on. <laughs> uh, so, guys, it's it's the Driver's Summit. It's the first one we've had in a couple of years. It, it seems to be this enigma to fans on social media as to what takes place here this week. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, what you're going to be doing here at Feld during the Driver's Summit? So it's it's a long, long time for us, long process we go through, tons of meetings, but the stuff that comes from this is the stuff that's going to mold the future. So we're talking about new ideas, things that aren't even just like for next season. We're talking about four, five, six years in advance, track design, truck design, safety features for inside and out, fan uh, accessibility, fan fun things, all this stuff, everything. There's not a subject that Monster Jam has that we don't go over and pick apart in every which way and try to make it better and better. And uh, Bryce, I just want to let you know, you got a little dry skin up on your oh, forehead, gosh. man. It's just an- <laughs> God, we've been on. messing with him. We've, we've had him so worked Come up. on. I know I've had dry skin today, Scott. I'm sorry, man. Uh, at least I'm not chapped lips like my man uh, yeah. Ryan over here. I had to give him, I had to give him a, a little at, roll of the great lips, Mohawk Warrior yeah, chapstick. Look at, chapstick. Look at that, man. It's, it's yeah. branded, and you won't take that back from him. Yeah, now, then right? he didn't. Just, then, you know, here I am looking out for my man Ryan, and yeah. he, all he's been doing is making fun of my dry forehead all day. So well, let's, thanks uh, for bringing that let's, up. Let's try to look past the dry forehead. For those of you that are watching, I apologize. If you're listening, you're you're in the clear. Yeah. I'll start uh, with, with where it began with you. You grew up uh, on a drag strip and was Clay Clay City, Kentucky. Yep. And talk about life uh, growing up there. Yeah, my uh, grandfather owned uh, back then. It was Mountain Parkway Motorplex, and it was so much fun. I'd spend my whole summers up there. So I'm I'm from North Carolina, but as soon as I'd get out of school. Um, in May or first of June, I would immediately go up as soon as I could. Um, I'd live with my grandparents all summer long and it wasn't because, you know, I was a bad kid. It was because I loved drag racing and, um, they had an 80 acre farm in Bria, Kentucky. And I got to go and spend the, uh, the weekends really during the weeks though, I would be weeding the fence line. I'd be painting the staging lanes, uh, the, the lines in the staging lanes and then getting to work on our junior dragster. And yeah, I was doing that at nine and 10 years old and absolutely loved it. And so it was just, it was fun that on the weekends I got to, to do that. I got to watch my grandfather uh, race and put on events and he was such a big promoter, but man, the guy was all about relationships. And so that was kind of one of the biggest lessons I learned. Like I loved the motors. I loved the speed and the intensity and the late nights, uh, but I loved watching the relationships get built. And the fact that I got to do that until I was about 13. Um, and that's when he actually sold the track and he bought a top fuel car and we got to go top fuel racing for about 10 years. So you pretty much knew from a, a very early age that this was going to be in your blood and something that you were going to adapt to, correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted the platform, you know, when I was 15 years old, I, I always go back to that. I knew when I was 15, I'd be involved in motorsports as a professional and the chance to then, you know, uh, go around with him with the top fuel, uh, operation. And then at 20 years old, getting the chance to actually drive it and do that for two years, um, and trying to keep it out on the track and then just quite frankly failing at it you know and it was 2009 2010 2011 and I was trying to find money and my grandfather thankfully was giving me the opportunity to do that Um, I had seven streams of income at one time all funneling into me trying to make that that uh, that career work all legal income streams by the (laughs) way thank you for clarifying yeah and uh but uh, but I I don't regret any of it don't regret the work uh and I don't even regret the failures because and a lot of people don't they don't you know they see my career here in Monster Jam and they see kind of what I bring to the table now 
a lot of what I do and the passion I have and the, 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 the desire to communicate well and to represent a brand, all that stuff comes from, quite frankly, failing in Top Fuel. And, and the, less, the hard lessons learned. And I remember as soon as we got out of Top Fuel, I immediately started making my list that whenever I get a chance again, the things I'll do differently. And one of those things were, was fan engagement, right? The, one of the things was communicating over social media and things of that sort that, that I try to be really good at today. Uh, but the biggest thing was how I would represent a brand. And so that's what I'm the most thankful about with uh, this, this chapter of life with Monster Jam is the fact that I get to do that with Great Clips. I get to do that with Monster Jam, and I've got to do that with other partners inside of Monster Jam too. Um, and that's why I work so hard off the track at that is not because I like seeing my name up in lights, yeah. not because I, I feel good about myself when I do that is frankly because of what was built in me through the failures all those years. Um, and then see, and having to have that conversation with my grandfather in 2011, uh, who meant the world to me and he was a mentor for me and such an amazing influence on my life. Uh, that conversation I had to have with him of saying, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I sell it. Don't keep this stuff for me. Right. Like don't keep the financial burden, uh, for, for my sake, like let me go out and earn yeah. it. And if it takes me 50 years to get back in the sport, I'll do it, right? I remember having that conversation with him because that's what he did. You know, he built his career up from the ground up. He started on old abandoned airstrips back in the 1960s. And, uh, and I told myself, if it takes me 50 years to get back to the top of the sport, so be it. And, you know, lo and behold, four years later, I get to, to, to be at the top of a different motorsport, albeit, but, uh, but still the top of motorsports with Monster Jam. And in a, in a, obviously a sport, I didn't know anything about growing up. I really didn't know anything about monster jam. Um, and the fact that I've gotten to do what I've gotten to do over the last, uh, almost eight years now, man, I'm so incredibly grateful for this chance. And, and although he's, he's, uh, uh, passed away about four years ago, you know, I, I always had that conversation with my grandma all the time, like how, how proud he would be of seeing all of this. Like he would, he would be, he would get the biggest kick out of seeing how the last seven to eight years have gone for me inside of monster jam. And if I have any regret, it's that I don't get to have those conversations with him that I used to have. And he'd be, he'd be getting a kick out of just us, you know, doing a podcast like that and getting to, to talk about all the cool things coming up. Well, some great insight because you talk about building relationships and, and, and fan engagement and things like that. And, uh, you know, there, there's a sort of this stigma attached that people are different when the camera goes on, you know, than what they are. But, but this is you, this is not a gimmick for you. You are who you are, whether the camera's on or off. And you're always, you know, one of the first ones out for pit party, one of the last ones left. And I've noticed, you know, throughout my, my time with you working with you, that there is not a single picture autograph fan that you will not talk to like they're your best friend, man. So that's great to get some insight from where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, failures will teach you a lot more than the successes. And so, um, I think that as we create this Monster Jam movement, and that's really what I've seen it, I've seen it as from the very beginning. Uh, that's what I bought into whenever Monster Jam called me. I finally saw the product um, and the chance to be part of a movement and really helping people and uh, using this platform for good things. Um, those are all the things, again, that came out of my failure. And I've got people, you know, I've got family members that say, well, Bryce, you didn't fail. Right. They're, they're like trying to, to console me. I'm going, it's okay. Like it, it's, it's, it's okay that I, that I failed. That's, but that's where I learned the mechanical side of it. And that's where I, I, I learned the driving portion of it and all that, that I've been able to take into monster jam. And, uh, the biggest lessons learned though, are all the things that a monster jam truck has that, a you know, dragster doesn't have, you know, I mean, this is, we fly through the air all day at monster jam. If I was flying through the air in top fuel, that was a really bad day at the, at the office. Um, so there are big differences there, but I don't regret any of the lessons learned 
that I've been able to thankfully apply into Monster Jam. Um, and it's just a matter of making people part of the story. And I think that that's the thing that, that humbles me the most is that even though the majority of people that went through that chapter of life in drag racing with me, the, 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 the people that went through that, that aren't getting to go through this chapter with me in monster jam. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to have them see just how big this opportunity is. And then also the people I go through this, uh, chapter with the monster, even Ryan, right. I mean, it was what last year in COVID finally Ryan came to me and he was like, I didn't know you knew all of that about motors. Like, I didn't know you had that kind of background in drag racing. I just thought you just showed up one day and because you were, you were good at uh, talking on the mic, they gave you a shot. I'm going, maybe that is why they gave me a shot. Um, but the, 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 the chapter that I had in, in professional drag racing, the things that were built in me through those failures are the things that fuel me off the track. So that whenever I do actually get the chance to go on the track and enter, engage with fans, it's all that, it's all that good stuff that thankfully started by, you know, weed eating the fence lines at a, at a drag strip, uh, years ago in Clay city, Kentucky that began to see, you know, there's nothing more powerful than, uh, the positive, the, uh, a positive mental attitude with a, that's backed by what, what I would say, not just a dream, but purpose. Um, and that's thankfully what I, I think that I've had a, po- a, a positive mental attitude longer in my life, uh, than, than most people. And I think that's the biggest differentiator. It's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I'm, uh, more stubborn in, in pursuing my dream. It's genuinely, I, my wife kind of jokes about it because if my phone rings in the other room, sometimes I'll be like, Oh, opportunity. Like, <laughs> because to me, I, I just, I know that good things will happen and can happen if you've got the right mental attitude. And, uh, I don't think, I don't think anything can help the person with the wrong mental attitude. Um, and I don't think anything can stop the person with the right mental attitude. And, um, that's just been my story. And the people that have seen that come to fruition and have come with me, like I said, um, along these journeys have seen it. And if my kids can be inspired one day to do that, I, I, I would want nothing more than my three kids to grow up and, and see that, Oh, dad didn't know how all the, da- the dots would connect, but he just knew eventually they would. And if that's what they get from, from watching me pursue my dreams, then uh, I think I've done a good job as a dad. That's what it's all about, trying to inspire our children. Now, Ryan, yeah. you grew up, uh, you know, in, in, in the Gravedigger family, obviously. In 1982, your dad, Dennis, created Gravedigger. So you've been in this thing since you were born. Um, you know, talk a little bit about growing up as the son of Dennis Anderson, what life was like for you in North Carolina. Well, honestly, I didn't realize how ridiculous it was until I was probably like 16 years old. Growing up, we, you know, my dad, he's not a tech savvy guy at all. He is literally barely can text, doesn't even want to, he doesn't want to mess with the computer, none of that stuff. He's, he's too old school. He's too in the fast lane with his horse and buggy, you know, he's done. <laughs> so back in the day, we didn't get the gaming systems. We didn't get the, you know, the new tech stuff, you know, that stuff didn't even, invent, it didn't even exist to my dad. We got vehicles, we got ATVs, we got stuff that we probably shouldn't have got at the age we got, but we had the compound to accept it. And our dad was there with, with us, making sure we were good, that we could control it. And then we, he did turn us loose a lot. And, uh, but I didn't realize that was different. Uh, that was normal to me. I, I had my first little, like legit vehicle at eight years old. It was my first son of a digger. I'd painted it, uh, when I was 13 to actually say son of a digger, I had green flames and stuff, mm-hmm. but that was my personal vehicle for around the property. So I drive from shop to the house and around the pond and more causing a ruckus probably being the biggest aggravation in the world, but I was hot stuff. Yeah, <laughs> It was loud. It had cool tires. It actually smoked a little bit cause it was a little bit wore out, but I was, you know, I was everywhere. And, uh, I didn't realize how crazy that was 
until I was like 16. And because everybody come to my house, they, everybody mm. would come to our place and play. We had the playground. Everybody just drooled to come to. Uh, but then, you know, once I got it to the age where it was for whatever reason, it clicked in. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what have we done our whole life? Mm. You know, like, and, and it's, and it's weird now. Like we talk about it a lot. We joke about it with Adam because Adam's the most at it. Uh, like we love the regular things so much. It's like, uh, it's like somebody getting on an ATV and riding like, Oh, it's so much fun. Like that's what we do every day. Like that's part of life. But for us to like build a deck, like do some carpentry work, we're like, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> we all get together and build it. You know, it's a crazy thing for us, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was nothing normal about it, but everything was in an unintentional way grooming me and our whole family to be who we are and do what we do, you know? So it's, uh, every day dad would be, if he wasn't gone, which was a lot, it was grave digger firing up driving through the yard or whatever. That was, you know, so common for us. And, um, uh, he, he gave us tons of opportunity in and out of the monster jam world. But, uh, like I said, every bit of it was all just grooming us to be a thoroughbred of monster jam. That's what dad always calls us. We, we don't know. I joke, everybody asks, what would you do if it wasn't for monster jam? I don't know. Cause I can promise you, I wouldn't even be good enough to bag groceries. <laughs> this is all I know to do, you know? So, um, growing up around it was, you know, unexplainable, really everything, every story I have is like un, unfathomable for normal life. Uh, you know, the vehicles that we've had and the toys we did, the stunts we did, the, all the craziness, you know, so it's, it's hard to explain really. And to get it through somebody's head, it's not just, just saying it was crazy, but, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of experience we had before we even had our license was more than what most people would drive their entire lives, you know? And, uh, it was, like I said, it was fun for us and dad, it was fun for dad, but truthfully it was, it was most importantly training, uh, to make us just whatever, whatever we are, you know, the thoroughbreds of monster jam. The conversations I've, I've, I've some of the conversations I had with your dad, um, you know, he always talks about the sacrifice he had to make, you know, as a father for his kids, which I know you're you're now doing, and you're now doing as well. Um, I think that was was something that he, that he regretted in a way was was having to be away so much because it was a different era back then. You know, yeah. he literally was selling T-shirts, you know, to to pay for truck parts and things like that. How how much do you remember your dad being gone? Uh, all the time. And it was, that was, but, but the deal was when he was home, it was like a circus. Yeah. It was madness. That's when we were, the vehicles were going, we were, we would be working on something and we'd get dad to go out on the road and do a burnout with it. Cause we were scared to go on the road. You know, we didn't mess around with the road much. We didn't have asphalt on the property. So we had nowhere to do a good burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, we get in trouble for doing it in front of the, the gravedigger shop on the concrete. You know, we didn't want to mess that up, but <laughs> so we'd build stuff up and let dad do a burnout with it. And he'd come home with toys and trinkets and the, the gravedigger trailer never came back with just gravedigger. It came back with all kinds of crap, antiques, toys, you know, who, you, who knows fence. One time you come back with all the <laughs> fence. Tra- yeah. Where does he get a fence? Yeah. As you yeah. Fence, it's it's actually, it is actually the fence that's in front of the gravedigger compound now. Uh-huh. Found it out in California somewhere. We just <laughs> didn't know the that there was such thing as vinyl fence. Uh, you know, of course, this is probably 90, early 90s. He was just amazed by it. So he had to buy it and bring it all the way from California instead of getting it in North Carolina where it also is. But either way, yeah, it was, uh, he was gone a lot. And uh, it was, you know, when we were kids, it was what we grew up with. You know, we didn't really know any better. We wa- obviously wanted him around because when he was around, it was pure chaos and we loved it. Um, but at the same time, if he would have been around more, it wouldn't be what it is today. Yeah. He was, you know, doing what it, and it wasn't even that he was doing it. Like I need to do this to set my kids up 
set my future up, any of that stuff. He did it because he loved it. And it was, a, you know, just a crazy snowball effect that, like you said, the, the, the T-shirts, it was when he was out running in the beginning, he literally did not have money. Like we, we, it was a little bit later on in the career, but the house we lived in was, he paid like $20,000 for it. The motor and grave digger was $40,000. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but when he was running around to these venues, he would go there anticipate like not without, with basically enough fuel to get there and not enough money to get home, but he knew he was going to get money from the event. And, uh, so he would, that's how he get the, the nickname one run Anderson, because there was a guaranteed bonus if you were the fastest qualifier, which is the first thing you do at, a, you know, the old school style racing. And, um, so he would go out there and go crazy and more than likely he would break the truck, but he knew I think it was like 500 bucks. He could get home with that 500 bucks. Mm. So his weekend was, you know, even if it didn't profit, it was, he could get home. But, uh, but then he started figuring out the, the t-shirt stuff. And obviously with the paint job that was on Gravedigger was crazy compared to anything, especially at that time. Uh, and he would basically rely on the t-shirt money to, to make, make it work, to afford what he broke and, and be able to get to the next venue and things. And, uh, if he went out and only ran one time, nobody, you know, whatever he broke, but if he came out and ran again, they would go buy things. He'd buy the merchandise, which would then be able to afford the next event, the whatever he broke and all those things. And and the harder he ran, the more people would buy. So when he would go out, it was always Hail Mary, which it wasn't totally driven by that. He's gonna Hail Mary it. Whatever it is, you know, even today, he doesn't need to be driving crazy at all. But as soon as the key's on, he's driving crazy and everything. Like literally right now to this day, if you pull up beside my dad and give it one little bump, it's, it's a race. <laughs> and whether you take off or not, he is racing you. And uh, so it wasn't it wasn't like it was out of the question for him to drive crazy, but that it was just a it just so happened to fall in place where it would help afford and build the Gravedigger name. And uh, and obviously that's what it's known for. It's known for being crazy, known for being chaotic and chaos, all that stuff. But that all bred from not only my dad's inability to drive easy, but also his requirement to drive crazy, to afford to keep going. And it's, it's, it's everywhere now. So the fact that the merchandise pay for all that, and you go, you can't go anywhere now without seeing grave digger merchandise. I was, uh, there's a park across from my kid's school and there's same kids play there every day. One kid has grave digger shoes. There's another grave digger backpack. And just yesterday I even said to the kid, I, I love your shoes, man. I, I work with grave digger. Oh, do you, do you drive? No, I'm, I'm the announcer. Oh, that's boring. Do you, <laughs> so, you know, I'm still, I'm still getting it. I'm getting it from the kids now too, yeah. but you know, it's just, just the fact that it started with your dad literally selling out of the trailer, yep. um, to, to where it is now. It, it, it's, it's huge phenomenon. And, uh, you know, I know that you're, you're super proud of that to, to be able to be a part of, of this still 40 years later driving son of a digger. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's it, like you're saying with everybody that's even to this day, it's, that's why grave diggers never had a big brand sponsor on the side because our sponsors are each and every single fan that ever has bought a single piece of grave digger merchandise, no matter if it's a $4 toy or, uh, you know, a $5,000 collectible. Every bit of that is, that's our sponsorship. That's what sponsors Gravedigger to run the way it does. That's what drives us to drive the way we do. It's, it's, uh, it's insane. If uh, like a business person were to look at this whole crazy thing we've got going, they would say, this is terrible, <laughs> but it works. Bryce, let's talk a little bit about, you know, a after the, the drag strip and you getting into drag racing, your, your resume, uh, it doesn't 
exactly speak Monster Jam yeah. driver. You know, you corporate <laughs> Division One soccer star, uh, corporate headhunter yep. into Monster Jam. How does that transgression happen? How, how, how do you get there? So, I would say the short story um, is as soon as I got a call from this executive recruiting firm, and again, it was almost like the call I got from Monster Jam, where I I didn't know anything about that industry, um, but. Um, I had gotten a call from the president of that firm who had seen me in kind of the professional environment, actually in the soccer environment. Um, and he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about doing this. And so when, whenever I sat down, one of the things that was so intriguing to me in the drag racing world and that I watched all those years was the business side of racing um, and the, the, the things that I don't that I really didn't feel that motorsports was doing a good job of on the business side. Like I thought the return on investment. Uh, back then was terrible when it comes to, oh, just give us some money and we'll put your brand on the side of our race car for exposure. Um, even back in 2010, 2011, right? We're going through a terrible recession. Um, me trying to convince people to do that and and uh, and give us money to keep us out on the track. It just wasn't working. Um, and so I, I saw that was part of the failure stuff too. It's like I, I saw uh, what really would create value for an organization. And so for, for, for four years, I got to do just that uh, with an executive recruiting firm based out of Greensboro, um, name of it's Charles Aris. And I loved it. I had so much fun because all day I was talking to CEOs and CFOs and um, uh, getting to, to see how these companies operated, uh, their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, I got to, to, to understand what uh, C-suite executives out there were looking for, right? Not just from a career standpoint, but what was you know their dots for their business on how those were connecting and the growth aspect of it or companies that were uh, distressed and trying to kind of right the ship. And I got, I really became addicted to kind of looking under the hood, pun intended, I guess, <laughs> on these organizations. And, um, and so for those four years, I do think that that built a lot of confidence in me. I mean, I can go into a boardroom. I can, you know, I'll never forget uh, doing a reference check with an, uh, a, an individual who was a CEO of a really big name organization. And as I'm on the phone with him, because it was a public company, I looked up his, his uh, salary. You know, his base salary was like a couple million bucks. And, you know, of course, I'm mid-sentence asking some question to him. And as soon as it popped up on screen, I'm, uh, um, yeah, uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Mr. Smith. Um, uh, but but I think that that built uh, not only confidence, but competence in doing that. Uh, so that now, of course, with Monster Jam, it's so much fun getting to meet the partnerships, uh, getting to meet the partners and getting to work with organizations that are looking for new types of uh, uh, value and understanding that I think Monster Jam is such a unique opportunity for brands because the engagement aspect of Monster Jam is is unlike any other motorsport out there. NHRA can't touch it. NASCAR definitely can't touch it. Um, I'll debate Camden Murphy all day on that. Um, <laughs> but but you know I think Monster Jam's product and the value that it brings is second to none. Um, and it's things like having Gravedigger where you know because it is. A, a, a so uh, endearing to the fans and they love it so much and they're the ones that have supported all these years and the merchandise and the product of Gravedigger and what it is is so huge globally that they don't have to have a company to support it. I think that that's I, I think that that's proof uh, right there of what the brand is able to do. I, I think that the, 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 the fact that they've created El Toro Loco and Megalodon and all this stuff that just lets the fans come and enjoy the, the event um, and, and have an experience and get the memories uh, that they get when they leave the event, all that stuff is second to none. And it's nice to have, you know, great clips to be on the side of Mohawk Warrior and to get that brand exposure. But it's all the stuff behind the scenes and the engagement that we give the fans at the pit parties 
and the, the stuff that they learn when, by the time that they leave, whether it's just how the trucks operate, um, it's a it's a very different product. Um, and so my corporate background, at least with the uh, the executive recruiting side of it, um, really built in not only a hunger for that, but a competence to understand how how value is created and then how to bring value to an organization. Um, and that's also helped me with my personal career as a driver as well. And probably life after that as well, too. Yeah, you know, I, I would hope so, right? Yeah. Um, I would hope that Monster Jam and everything that I've learned here, um, you know, I have no plans to leave Monster Jam for any time soon because I believe in the product. Uh, but yeah, I, I, eventually when I can't jump one of these 12,000 pound trucks in the air anymore uh, physically, then I'll be able to hopefully leverage this into whatever's next, whatever that next dot is that I gave up trying to guess how this career path would go a long time ago. And I'm just enjoying the ride. We could always make room for in the broadcast booth back for oh, you. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> good. Good, good. Um, Ryan, you, you mentioned, you know, driving at what, eight years old. Um, I, I know that your, your son race and even Adam some weight on Instagram and there's a lot of videos of, of them driving at such a young age. Do you anticipate the way that your, your dad, you know, continued his legacy with you and Adam and, and Kristen and Weston, that that's something that race and, and, and Wade will pick up uh, after you're done? Well, you know, just like any parent, I'm going to do whatever, I'm going to fully back whatever they want to do. No doubt about it. My son, race Wade and Luke, the, uh, Adam's two boys. So, you know, that's like that. You got to instantly put that on it. But at the same time, my dad didn't really like, like, like tune us in. He didn't like try to teach us the, the technical way of driving. Like he just turned us loose in some old junky cars and we'd go crash derby each other and jump around. And we were just cutting up, having fun. You know, it was basically our babysitter. Like we would go play, but, uh, with race and Wade and Luke and them that we're, we're so in depth now with technically, you know, driving things and what it takes to do certain tricks and all these crazy things that now we can't help, but push it to them as well. And they want to do it. They want to understand the moonwalks and the the crazy stuff on how to turn and all that stuff. So right now they, the vehicles they have at uh, eight, nine, 10 years old are honestly stuff that we don't even have now. <laughs> like, like the, my son has cooler toys than I do. Mm. I play with my kids toys, but that, so that I, I you know, and, and it's not that it's my goal or my, you know, whole reason to do it. I do it because we have fun with it. We love it. We love, that's the, the most fun we have as a family are doing crazy motorsport stuff together, racing and things like that. But we're racing on our own compounds. So we set up a miniature monster truck course for them on their side-by-sides to race around. We have a light system. We are timing them. We have timing system, all this stuff. And it's, it's super over the top, but man, we got the stuff and we, we love to do it. We have fun. Like we just recently just set up a drag race, dirt drags in the field with a timing system. And the whole compound was there watching, having fun. And it was the kids. We're watching the kids We're dads over there training them how to you know, cut a good light and, and to hold it, make sure you hold it wide open long enough. And then of course we go into jumps and we're teaching them to jump a certain way and all this. And it's madness at, you know, eight years old and 10 years old, but man, I, like, I know it's not even that I hope I know when, and if they do the monster jam thing, they are going to just blow everybody out of the water. It's they're they're even before they could drive what they were doing with the monster jam toys was, emulating exactly what we do in two scale. Uh, we build them monster jam tables with the proper jumps and everything like we play with, and they're doing it properly. They're not just throwing the toy across the yard and being like, Oh yeah, big jump. No, they're like doing it right. And if you don't do it right, they're mad. You're kicked out of the show. I'm talking about we, when we play with the monster jam toys, we start with the national anthem. 
We do the intros, we do racing, we do tool skills, and we do freestyle. If you mess that order up, you're out. Done. You're done. So I like it's, the structure there. It's, great, it's very structured. <laughs> we actually, a few times we've had a track map and driver's meeting information. Oh, for us. Yeah, right, yeah. Man. So it's that intense. But uh, they love it. That's what they want to do for fun. You know, it's not that we push it on them. We, you know, we, we love going home and just doing whatever they want to do, having fun with them. And that's what they want to do. They want to emulate what we do. And uh, they love every second of We love every second of We have a blast with it. And it's hilarious for us to see them do the things that they're doing. It's, it's hilarious because it's so advanced and so like stuff that we didn't think of two years ago, they're already doing with their toys, their vehicles and things like that. So yeah, it's, uh, they're going to be insanity. Well, if you ever need an anthem singer for one of those, just FaceTime you, man. I got yeah, you. They would you know, love you. Would, <laughs> you, are, might, you might be messing yourself up because you have to do the whole show. <laughs> oh, great. All right. Yeah. We'll and it. you better have a booth in the background or else it's not <laughs> I'll, I'll make one in my, in my garage. Actually, I, you know, I have a 24-volt grave digger in my garage, and I've, I've really started working on this thing to try to fine-tune it. You know, I can't fit in it very well, but mm-hmm. I, I'm able to take the seats out, put them on the back, and and drive that way. And, and two weeks ago, I did my first popper yeah. you know, trying to get up on the curb. It was an inadvertent <laughs> popper. I, I okay. face planted and ended up on my face, <laughs> yep. but I did a popper in a 24 volts. I'm, I'm, I'm just proud. setting myself wow. up here for yeah. like, you know, future. Well, I edit. have your next step because races Gravedigger Power Wheels has been slightly Andersoned. Yeah, <laughs> it goes 36 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's a little crazy. Um, I, I want to talk about the compound a little bit because I'm, you know, again, for me, it, it's kind of this, this mystical enigma of, of where Gravedigger is and, and the Digger's Dungeon and the diner. You see all these videos, but what does the compound look like, man? I, I, yeah, I, we had this great feature on, on NBC kind of showing you at home and, and on the boat and what you do. And, and it just piqued my interest as to, you know, what, what is there? Like how, how is it set up out there? So the first thing you see is, uh, you know, obviously it's Gravedigger and there's Gravedigger number seven, the legitimate truck, uh, on its nose, like it's crashing, it's all bent up, tires are off the rim. It looks true gravedigger fashion on the side of the highway. And this highway is the only way to get to the outer banks of North Carolina, the beach area. That's a big vacation destination. You have to go by gravedigger to get there. And there, there's the original gravedigger shop. Well, not the, the original, but the gravedigger shop where everything happened. It's where when gravedigger exploded, it was there when, you know, until the, until today, it's uh, we've been there for almost 30 years. Uh, and the house that's there is the house we lived in. We don't live anymore. It's office buildings, but, uh, we have diggers, a diggers diner there. We have monster truck rides, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it is a a monster truck grave digger playground for people. And it's, and there's so much history there just in things that are just there on the property. We didn't place them on purpose. It's, it's part of grave digger growing and, you know, that it's stuff that really honestly was more in the junkyard. Gravedigger number one, grandma, all the gravedigger number two that was converted to the swim truck. They're all there. They were just were part of the property as we were progressing on. We didn't get rid of them, you know, but they're there and people can come see them, get up close and personal with it. It's, but the, the entire place is a monster jam playground of horsepower and craziness. We have uh, the engine room there, the dyno that runs uh, almost daily. So you get to hear the the beautiful sound of 1500 horsepower getting pushed to the limits you know, at least once a day. Um, uh, we're all into hot rodding and motorsports and stuff. So diesels, uh, building custom diesel engines there, uh, 
the, the, the highway does tend to have a lot of black marks on it in front of us. So I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Not me. No, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the uh, RC track. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a playground for anything and everything. Gravedigger, motorsports, monster jam related. But, uh, it's at the same time, it's where we live. It's what we do every day. That's why I go every day. I go there to check on the next mud truck project or the next, uh, you know, who knows what the engine that we're doing that anything it's it's anything and everything that anderson's are doing happens there starts there it's built there and uh you know it's open to the public too you know it's not a private thing we a lot of times you if you go there in the morning if my dad's in town if you're there anywhere between eight nine uh, a.m he's in diggers diner eating breakfast if you're there at 12 o'clock he's there eating lunch it's it's everyday thing for the whole family it's really honestly the the diner is more for the family to eat at than anything <laughs> that's why you got everybody else that comes in is just a byproduct yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's hard to again hard to explain because it's so abnormal it's so like when you walk around the property there's every end of the spectrum that's motorsports related not even just motorsports related it's what we enjoy what we like to do uh yeah, it's how long were the how long were you guys uh, testing new drivers out there? Oh, man, I can't even remember. Because that was, was before years, you know, I went to Paxton years, yeah. for Monster Jam University. Yeah, but I kind of started out there. Yeah, right? it was before really it was you know called Monster Jam University. Yeah. We just would train people because you know last thing you want to do is put somebody, which it, it happened a lot, put somebody in a twelve thousand pound truck in a, a small arena in front of people the first time they get to go. So, in our field, which was is still set up as a practice field, test field, we trained all kinds of, well, not we, dad, mm-hmm. uh, trained all kinds of people, multiple other people, Paul Cohen, uh, John Zimmer, all those guys were there doing it too over the years. But, uh, it, it started out as just teaching people how to start the thing and move around a little bit to training them to do stuff, which it, the tricks didn't really hit until after we had moved it from there as far as the technical stuff, you know, but, um, there was all kinds of madness out there. Uh, Medusa was trained there. Chat Fortune was trained there. Uh, Bari got discovered yeah. Bari, yeah. Bari, was, Bari was racing RC cars in our yard <laughs> at an event that actually he was putting on, but it was a crazy RC event. And, and uh, we knew Bari. We knew he was crazy. I mean, he was, he was the dude of the RCs. You know, he, was, he was the guy everybody was watching. Everybody was buying his old RC cars to try to beat him. Huh. But his new one would always beat. Yeah, you know, of, course, of course. But Naturally. Uh, you know, then he got recognized by a Monster Jam uh, a person there and got thrown into to the test truck there actually and uh yeah it was everybody really that's that was driving at the time back in that time was started there Mm -hmm. it it was my dad throwing everybody to the wolves you know like back up to here and you don't let out until you leave the ramp that's what he did with me first time i ever drove a truck he backed me up way farther than i thought i should have been which was actually right i was right you were right i was too far back did you tell him (laughs) you were right no, because he 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 knew he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he he did it at an exact time that was he meant to do it. This was right at the the cusp of us uh, switch, switching over to aluminum seats, mm. uh, a Hans or uh, like a very nice neck for support that we have now. It was right before that, mm. so I got that. I got one taste of it, but it was a, it was a heck of a taste. Uh, bit bit my tongue. Uh, my necks felt like I was a giraffe. I mean, that's where you started slobbering all over your visor. Yeah, I did. Okay. That's, that's you, a whole other subject. Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. We don't. You put this on your yeah, little list, get, though. Get that on a okay, yeah, I don't want. It's the one thing I want to always look at in the locker room after a freestyle competition is uh, Ryan Anderson's visor from the inside. But go ahead. Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. So yeah, I, bulldog. I, I jumped a, uh, a truck. I think it was like 116 foot my first time ever. 
jumping. And I literally, first time ever, I've started the trucks just, you know, helping tune in and do stuff like that, but never actually drove one. The first time I literally moved a truck was to move it to the field to go do my first jump. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I jumped like 116 foot. It nosed in like crazy and just, just demolished me. Son of a digger was born. Yes, <laughs> you're exactly right. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, that was my first taste of driving. And then after that, I would, I would never really be on the schedule to, to test or practice. Uh, but when it was going on, it was, there, it was in my yard, you know, mm -hmm. so I was there, I was watching, you know, maybe judging people a little bit, whatever, say, you know? Man, so then at the very end, audience. they would, I would, I would stand there all day for the off chance that the end, they might say, you go, go get a chance, go, go try real quick. So I would go, uh, you know, it happened about, I think it was two times I got the the shot to go out there and just like go run around for a minute. Mm. And, uh, that was my first ever slap wheelie was the second time I ever drove. And they were training people to do slap wheelies. So I sat there and watched people all day long, try to learn to do a slap wheelie. And I got to go do it and not because I was that good, but I got it first try. It's Man, such a sink proud. or swim thing. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. know if most motorsports are like that, you know, drag racing. I mean, you can kind of work up to it, but monster jam trucks, it is, it's a sink or swim thing. It's amazing how many people jump at one time and go, nope. I'm yeah. done. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Know, well, versus yeah, yeah. That, the people that, that seem to get it and have a knack for it right away too. Yeah. That happened a lot at our compound, especially, you know, pre all the safety equipment we have now. Yeah. It, was, it was a way harder. And even just the suspension tuning that we are capable of now was so far advanced from back then yeah. that, uh, you know, the, the hits that you would take just on a everyday race lane jump yep. was pretty absurd. And, uh, that, so yeah, there was multiple times we watched people one jump and done. Yeah. Well, I, that was the thing, the biggest learning curve for me, you know, they would say, well, how'd that jump feel? I'd go like a, like a monster truck. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it, it felt, it felt bad. Right. So for three whole years, you know, of my career, I, I didn't, it wasn't until I was talking to Morgan Kane after a weekend of, of a stadium show and it was uh it was Tuesday and he's like, Hey man, how you feeling from the weekend? I'm like, Oh man, I'm just now starting to be able to turn my neck again. And, you know, I'm feeling okay. And he goes, what? You're what do you mean? You're that sore? I said, well, yeah, aren't you that sore after a, a freestyle competition? He's like, dude, I'm no, I'm totally fine. And he was doing twice what I was doing in the truck. And, uh, and I thought, okay, maybe something is off. Maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I, maybe I should speak up a little more. Cause you, you don't want to be that guy either. If you're brand new, you don't want to be the one that's like, yeah, that hurt really bad. But you also, unless you grew up around the stuff and how it's maybe supposed to feel, yeah. I didn't have a clue how this stuff was supposed to feel. So that was a big learning curve. Yeah. yeah. When, when we, we discovered in that field, tuning on shocks. My dad was, when that field was in its prime of us testing things, my dad was doing the craziest stuff, like whatever shock setup you could imagine everything in, in between. And he would do it. He would try it. And then he would make me and Adam try it as well. And so we got, we got everything from the worst of the worst to the best of the best. And it was honestly, that's a super vital thing that I think a lot of, a lot of new up and coming drivers maybe haven't even experienced it is how good it can be. Yeah. Not saying it's still, it's still no Cadillac, but there are some people that have, it's, if, if they don't know the feel and, and one thing is, is I can, like my, my truck, I have it tuned in to exactly the way I want, but Adam gets in it. He hates it. Mm. My dad gets in it. He hates it. Everybody else that drives it, honestly, except for Weston, the one time he drove it, hated it, which Weston demolished. Yeah. It, it's like cartwheel. We'll yeah, get to that after the drill good. part, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, uh, it, we just, like, that was one of the biggest things for me. I opened her cause I was there watching it on the ground and felt it myself was 
when my dad would get a truck to land like he wanted it, I didn't like it. Mm. When I got it the way I wanted it, he didn't like it. You know, it was so the the and it wasn't because of Dennis Anderson or Ryan Anderson. It was because just two different drivers. Yeah. You know, so I, I would do the same for John Zimmer, Carl Van Horn, any of those guys would be out there at the time testing, tuning, making their truck work right, and they would want me to try or Adam to try whatever, and we would give it a shot to see if we wanted to try that or if they were on the right direction or. And, you know, it was a 50-50 chance it was either going to land totally bad or it was going to be yep. all right. But it never seemed to really ever totally match up 100%. Like, it's everybody's own identity is their shock. Team. Yeah, the preference. Yeah, I mean, and I, it I, takes I, a long time to figure that out. Yeah, and, well, a new a new Bryce was birthed <laughs> uh, whenever I switched from the R3 neck restraint to the Hans. Mm-hmm. I, so I grew up on the uh, with the R3 restraint and top fuel because I didn't want anything coming over the Hans. It kind of sits like a you know neck collar or a horse collar. And it comes over your shoulders. Well, I had a shoulder uh, injury in college. That's what took me out of soccer. And so I didn't want anything sitting on there. And it wasn't until I tried one. It was four years into my career. And I was up in at West Leb Speedway. Um, and I had a bad crash. And I happened to be trying out the Hans. And I got out of there like feeling totally fine, totally great. And it was, and it, I was like, okay, I can do this for another 10 years. Cause up until that point, only four years in, I was going, how in the world have these guys been doing this that long? And yes, Adam Anderson's probably kind of falling apart physically, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's not the best example. However, uh, you know, it was a, it was driver preference, not even just for the safety equipment. It's just, but it's hard for a brand new driver then to, to, to explain, okay, this is my preference then from the get-go. It's going to take every new driver a couple of years to kind of get comfortable in this yeah. stuff. Yeah, and just to, like, you know, to even prove that point was you would switch into the Hans device, you know, was a whole other world for you. But then Morgan Kane, mm-hmm. uh, exactly, he, he prefers the R3, the hybrid, 100% over the Hans. Yep. It was, and I, I've never been able to get that, that device to work for me. The R3. Work, yeah, but it yeah. works amazing for some people, and they don't want to use the Hans device that I will won't, I won't drive without. Yeah. So it's it, there's so much driver preference inside and out of that thing that, you know, back to the point of testing and tuning in that field that we started discovering that. It wasn't just like bolt this thing together, and if it sits at the right height, yeah, that's what it is. Well, I mean, listen, I might as well just give this show to you yeah, two. Yeah, sorry, I'm just hijacked. <laughs> oh, no, it's all right, man. I, mean, I love the conversation. I got a couple, a couple questions, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, Bryce, for you, uh, you started driving uh, at the time Mohawk Warrior seven years ago. Great Clips Mohawk Warrior now, huge brand. You're the face of that brand when it comes to Monster Jam. Uh, you know, you and I have, have talked in various platforms before about your predecessor, George Ballhan, and and the criticism that you got when you took over that seat from him. Do you yeah. feel now? you know, all these years later that you have surpassed that conversation, uh, exceeded expectations. What, what are your thoughts there? Is that something still weighs on you a little bit? I love that question, first of all. Um, and it, it, it doesn't weigh on me any, anymore. Um, but there's still going to be the fans that it's, it's their conversation to have, not mine. Right. Um, I, I never try to think of it as do I, have I filled the shoes or have I not? Um, um I think I came into this wanting with a strong desire to, uh, pay a lot of homage to George, and I think the world of George and uh, and and uh, the the history of the truck. Um, I think we're going into the same number of years that George was in it. That uh, for 2023, then I'll be in it for the same amount of time as George. But the comparison to me, it's never been a comparison. Um, my respect for um, Adam Anderson driving Gravedigger is is a different respect 
than I have for Dennis Anderson, who started Gravedigger, right? Um, to start something, you know, and with George coming up with that concept and uh, of, of Mohawk Warrior, um, I had all the plans in the world to pay a lot of homage. Um, and for a lot of different reasons, honestly, it was the way that the fans accepted or didn't accept me um, at the very beginning. Or they just had a lot of questions around around a new driver being in it. I don't, I, I think the only thing that I would say that is unfair is that I don't see the same comparison for other brands. Like, so when another driver takes over another truck um, and that conversation, again, that's for the fans to have, not for me. Um, I still look at it and go, man, I, I, you know, I still text George from time to time. We still communicate. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I always like getting, when I did the back to back flip in Philly, I think last week or last year it was the very first person i was kind of curious to get his thoughts on it was george because he kept getting tagged in it from a lot of people um and so uh i still want to have him on gears and nachos our podcast that me and adam do um if adam can ever figure out how to connect uh remotely out there on his <laughs> beach house but i think that i think it's a good question of how i feel filled the shoes but i think it's the wrong question um, I think that I'm thankful that when Great Clips came on board, it kept the truck around um, because I think that that's a big part of the conversation that fans don't want to have is, the, is, that, is that the brand itself was going away. Uh, the fact that we've gotten to do this for seven years and keep Mohawk Warrior uh, going like we have um, as, a, as an organization, I think is, is you know, certainly a feather in a lot of people's cap. But moving forward, I hope that Whenever I'm done and I'm not dr the driver of Mohawk Warrior anymore, maybe that's when everyone will calm down and, and know it, it wasn't ever meant to be the Bryce Kenny show. Um, and, and I want the brand to outlive me. You know, I want a Mohawk Warrior on every tour. Um, I want it to be something where it's as dynamic as Megalodon. You know, you see all these kids that love Megalodon and now Megalodon is such a huge brand for Monster Jam. Well, that's my vision and my dream uh, for, for Mohawk Warrior. And I'm thankful that we've had an amazing partner in Great Clips that has helped us keep that brand alive, um, that fans have engaged with it, that we have amazing Great Clips stylists that come out and want to be a part of this uh, movement, like I've said before. Um, so I think the right question is not, uh, do I fill the shoes? It's where can we take this brand? And, and I know that uh, the best homage we could ever pay to George, who started it and was the creator of it and, and, and in partnership with Monster Jam back in 2010 and debuted it, the best homage we could pay is to keep it going and to make it bigger than ever before. Um, while, you know, not, you, know you, you never forget where you came from, just like I don't, I don't forget where I came from uh, coming out of, you know, my, my relationship in, in, with my grandfather and, and uh, uh, coming out of drag racing, but you can't lose sight of where you're going either. I think change is, is never easy for fans of any sport. Um, and, and to when you're used to something, it, it takes a while to to evolve into into something else. You, you have to you, you have to pay homage to the history, but you have to set your own way. You have to set your own place and make your own place in history. I, I dealt with that too, you know, with Scott Douglas, the voice of Monster Jam for so long. You know, Ryan Lacoste came in and had to replace him, which I know was not very easy. I had to come in and replace Ryan. You were there with me in this room yeah. that first weekend, man. When when the broadcast came out, the Twitter comments, I think hot garbage was, uh, was one of the things <laughs> yeah, I was called, you know, uh, I changed my Twitter handle actually at one point to hot garbage. Oh, um, 
good. It, it's never easy uh, uh, when you have somebody that started something and did such a, a good job to build that, and then you've taken over and you've done an even, uh, I think, you know, better job of making this thing a huge part of the sport. So yeah. hats off to you. So I, if I worded that question wrong, I apologize, but it, it, it was sort of meant to to say, how do you feel you, you've done with your expectations yeah. from all that criticism you got originally? Yeah. I think you have exceeded that, you know, by, by a thousandfold. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I think the 1% of the people that can't accept change, and that's really what it is, right? I think that a lot of the times that I struggle with comments on social media, or if I struggle with, uh, uh, and it doesn't even have to be about me and Mohawk Warrior, it could be something to do with the change that Monster Jam's trying to make to improve, hopefully improve the sport. Some of that stuff's trial and error, right? Some of it's uh, a success and some of it's failing, but you know, it goes back to what I said before. I think if we all, I think the thing I'm very thankful about with Monster Jam, the people that, and the leadership and the people that run this sport is that it's a fail forward environment. And I think that, um, that have I, if I look back on this chapter and I think about how I did stuff in Mohawk Warrior in year one versus how I do it now, you know, I, I the, the thing that I hope to have is that I failed forward every step of the way. Uh, but the 1% of the comments that di- it's not about me, it's not about the change. Um, it's just simply, uh, uh, the fact that they don't want it to be different than what it was 30 years ago. I get that because I have my own feelings about other motorsports and other things. And even with monster jam today, uh, but where we're going is what gets me excited the most. And that's where the, that's what the 99% want to understand. And so if you get passionate about understanding how to communicate where we're going together and bringing people into the story with us, man, that's where I think a lot of the power lies. And, and, um, and, and that's why I work so hard off the track at, at uh, doing what I do that no one will ever see, but, uh, but it's wanting to continue to make sure that I leave the sport better than I found it. However, that if I, if I could do this for 15 years more, right, I want in 15 years, I want to be measured by, uh, did I leave it better than I found it? And if I left it better than I found it when I came around this sport in 2016, um, then that's something I can hang my hat on. Well, and there doesn't need to be a comparison. You know, George deserves uh, all the respect for yeah. what he did, and you deserve all the respect for what you've well, done I as well. So, that. everybody. So, you know, Ryan, let's talk a little bit, uh, real quick. Uh, you know, you, you kind of had to deal with something similar in, in 2021, the Stadium Championship Series. You take over Bakugan Dragonoid, you win the Series Championship. I remember, um, you know, it's, it's to pull back the curtain a little bit, our, our ride at the airport after that event when you won. Bryce was there. I think Barry <laughs> yeah, was in the car. Yeah, yeah, you you really were, coached me you through were it. struggling oh. on what to post on, on, on social media about your win because you were proud of it you wanted to you show Bakugan love and spin master but you also you had that son of a digger thing still hanging in your head and I yeah. remember that entire ride you were just struggling what do I write what do I write you know yeah, yeah I, was, I was. I'm, I'm being nice. I didn't no, want to say I was. Thank, thankfully, like, dude, you just won a series yeah. championship, man. Yeah. Thankfully <laughs> for these guys to kind of like whip me back in shape. Like, come on, get it together. But yeah, it was it was a weird thing for me in general because I you know there's a, a lot of I have so much pride in what I do and especially what I'm doing it in my truck means the world to me every detail about it the body style not just the paint job but every detail in that paint job I did that as a kid I I created that paint job with one of my dad's original t-shirt artwork guy and we and we spent weeks and weeks and weeks and I have ungodly amounts of variations and everything about that colors 100% of that truck every detail about it matters so much to me and it's that I'm so proud of everything about it and it's and it's not even like that you know a lot of people ask what are you or what are you trying are you trying to uh, like with the the truck the the name itself uh, are you different from Gravedigger or what like no Gravedigger is king there's no doubt about it and Gravedigger is my favorite 
monster truck in the world. But I, I just, I wanted to, honestly, in the beginning, I wanted my own identity that was still Gravedigger at the same time. And I also wanted to be able to race my dad and my brother all at the same time. If I was just in a Gravedigger as well, I couldn't race with them. And that was a way different time than we are at today. But so that was a big driving force behind it too. But yeah, so for, for me to jump out of my literal baby to get into another truck, it was a humongous, tough, you know, tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, I had to drive forward and push. It was more, it was more than just son of a digger. It was the entire industry had taken, I don't even know how to explain the pandemic, what it did to us. It just completely turned everything off. Um, and there was one major thing. There was a few major things, but one of the major things that stuck out to me that was uh, kept us relevant and kept us on the stage was every mega superstore you went to had Monster Jam toys. Mm. And that was something that Spin Master, they, they nailed our toys for us. They, they, they detailed these things to the max. I mean, they made them more than what we can imagine. And then there was, you know, through the entire pandemic, there was never a, there was never a chance you couldn't go get a Monster Jam toy. So they really held down the camp for us uh, in a big way, I feel like. And uh, so I, I I was honored to be able to jump in their their brand truck and do things with it. But I'll be honest with you, it was at first it was going to be like one event. And then it was like, well, maybe maybe three events, one more. And then the whole year. The whole season. <laughs> so it was like, it was like a, you know, every, every, you know, time I got, I thought I was to the top rung of the ladder, they'd add another one, which was, you know, it, it was, you know, it was, it's hard to explain. You know, I, I had fun. It was a blast. I, I can't, uh, can't deny I enjoyed demolishing that body. You know, as <laughs> yeah. cool as it looks, but it would, it definitely, it tore the Anderson part of me. I love the way it tore apart. Not, not by any way demeaning Bakugan cause it looks amazing. It's awesome. But it was just an awesome carnage piece that was brought out a lot of joy in me. But, uh, yeah, so that was, it was a weird, weird thing for me, but at the same time, I was still happy to be out there, uh, you know, honored to be able to be on the stage again, especially doing it at a time that we did and what, what was available in the world at the time wasn't very much. And we were freaking jumping monster trucks across the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you won, man. And, uh, you know, I, listen, I, you and I talked after that a, a lot about it. I know that, you know, the son of a digger thing was in your head and guess what? You come back in 2022, you win a series championship in son of a digger. So you get that done too. Now uh, we, we are out of time. I think your, your brother and sister are waiting in the hall for us to stop. All right. Uh, Ryan Anderson will compete in 2023 on stadium championship series blue. So you're going to try for a third consecutive series championship. Bryce Kenny will compete once again on stadium championship series red. No shocker for the 14th straight year alongside Adam Anderson. Yeah. Is, it, is it in your contract that you have to be on his series? Uh, man, so you know? man, I want uh, some Bryce <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> yeah. It's just getting line ryan okay there is uh also there's i was just gonna say i don't know that ryan or that adam loves it i haven't asked him yet if he actually enjoys the fact that we've been on the same tour for now seven years but uh, he doesn't get a choice we're gonna we're just keeping the band together so we can do more podcasts right when there's apparently a bigger chance of me doing this show in a dress than appearing on gears and nachos so (laughs) stay tuned for that as always you can uh join the conversation on social media at scott jordan mjx you can download this show on spotify google Podcasts, and apple podcasts uh and you know watch along at monsterjam.com gentlemen thank you so much for for hanging out i know you have a long weekend uh, ahead of you and uh i'll be seeing you around bryce kenny ryan anderson i'm scott jordan i'll see you right here next time on Inside Monster Jam.